down in twos. <laughs> nah, we do. Baby, read. Benny Buck, and I'm just going to get right to the quote. It says... <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Yeah, uh, damn it. <laughs> Um, I know I probably can't cuss on here, so I won't cuss, but <laughs> who cares? Like... Hey, everyone. Welcome to another edition of the Ball Street Journal podcast. It's me and Nishant back at it again today. Probably our first podcast since the season has started. Um, I think Nishant and Rohit, you guys recorded one earlier, um, right at, as the season was beginning. But this is our first time. Um, you know, you actually hit me up last week and I think you were really fired up and you wanted to really talk about the Brooklyn Nets and that was kind of <laughs> the reason why we weren't even recording this podcast you just had some fire takes about the Nets that you wanted to get off your chest so you know I'm gonna hand over the mic to you it's all yours and let's go all right well everybody knows I'm not really a Nets fan but I'm gonna take you know about two minutes to get onto my soapbox and this is less about the Nets and it's more about how we consume um, NBA teams and, and athletes in general. And I, and I kind of want to take a minute and talk about how, you know, these, these Nets players, the superstars, Harden, um, Irving, and KD, rightfully so are under a micro, uh, you know, a, a magnifying glass over this last year now that they're fully healthy. But I want to take a shot kind of at guys like us, you know, guys who sit on the sidelines, who analyze these players, and even even former NBA players, I just feel like the Nets have gotten the short end of the stick. I mean, there's really no way to win with the media when they're this quote-unquote villain team. It kind of reminds me of what the Heat became the first couple of years before they started becoming beloved again, but when LeBron went down there and there was all the ire of NBA fandom and the media. And my biggest thing is, okay, so Kyrie Irving had some, you know, personal issues related to what was going on in the country. And I felt like there was no way for him to win. If he played and was playing poorly because his mind wasn't in it, the media was going to consume him. And if he didn't play and he took some time away, they were going to consume him anyway. And it's just really interesting now that he's back how all the same media guys that were saying Kyrie's a virus, Kyrie is the reason why the net ceiling is capped. And I just feel like this day and age, and I understand some of these guys grew up without social media, but there's no way that a player that's viewed in a certain light can win. No matter what they do, media always finds a problem with it. You know, and, and me included, I'm not a Nets fan, but should Kyrie have handled that situation slightly differently, maybe keeping his teammates and his coaches involved in what's going on with his mind? Yeah, I think so. But it's it's really upsetting when, you know, guys like Kevin Love and DeMar DeRozan come out and talk about depression and media is applauding them for having the bravery to do so. And then someone like Kyrie, who's trying to take some time to get his mental health in a place in which, you know, this last year has been stressful and he's not someone who hasn't, it's not like, you can tell that it affects him because he contributes to the society in a way that he feels. Whether it's providing for providing food for neighborhoods, whether it's donating his time or money. And 
I'm kind of I'm kind of tired at the media taking a crap on all these athletes that are taking time. You know, they want to they want to be told to not. You know, all the media is like, oh yeah, all these owners that say shut up and dribble, they shouldn't say that. Like these these athletes are more than that. Well, if they're more than that, then why can't you respect the fact that the athlete needs to take some time off? Now, there's all the financial reasons and all the NBA playoff, you know, sport reasons why the athlete should pay. It's a play. It's their job and and they should notify their team. And I think there's a level of professionalism that Kyrie did not have. But I'm just really, really tired of the way we, we including me, lay into these athletes when they're, you know, struggling from something just like everybody else that's facing isolation and depression in this COVID era with, you know, being sort of isolated from from their their social network even though the bubble is gone these guys are still experiencing that and the guys who sort of break their quote unquote bubble are the teams that are having trouble with testing positive but there are teams that are trying to keep it pretty close and that can be super isolating and I, I think we just need to give those guys a break I think ultimately the Nets guys are superstars they're guys who are not just leaders in the sport but leaders as African-Americans in the United States. And we need to we need to not be so predatory because every decision they make, it doesn't matter what the decision was. The person that's analyzing them is just going to pick the opposite and say, that's the right thing to do. But no one really knows that. Yeah, I mean, wow, that, I think that was, that was great. Uh, you know, that was just a great kind of summary of what's been happening. Um, and it's definitely a lot to kind of look back and see what's going on. I mean, I think, you know, even between you and me, we already see it, right? Um, today, like I sent a clip about like Stephen A saying that the Nets are probably going to make the NBA Finals. But last week or a couple of weeks ago, he was saying Kyrie Irving should retire from basketball. And I think that's unfortunately just a, a reflection of what the media, especially on these talk shows and debate shows, um, which they didn't have back in the day. There's no 24 hour, 24 seven like Twitter debate shows going on. They're just required to give these takes, um, and they can't really play it down the middle. And I think that's a, a largely why you know the media a lot of the times has to be like so either zero or a hundred. Like there's no in between because I think that's that's what consumers want. They want hot takes. They want these um, you know not don't play down the middle opinion so that that way it fires them up and there's something to talk about um but yeah i think i think with Kyrie, it's it's hard it's just because he is someone that we saw last night just just lit lit up the clippers he was the best player on the floor um and this is on a on a floor where there was kd harden pg and Kawhi, and Kyrie was the best player on the floor so we all know his talent um we all know what he contributes to all these societies like you were talking about and yeah, it's it's very reasonable. I mean, we, it's it's he always says it. He's not property. He's a human being, and he's going through stuff just like everyone else, which he likely was. And you know, I think the only criticism of that whole when he took his break that was warranted was the fact that maybe he didn't communicate to his coach or his GM, and it's really it was put them in a bad spot when they have to still face the media and answer those questions. And then it reflects bad on you as a team, as a whole, if you're not shown to be whole. But yeah, it, it, it's hard, right? I mean, think about it. it's first world problems, but these guys are immensely popular athletes. They probably live lives 
pre-pandemic where they were going to all these high-profile places every night. Um, you know, they're the as soon as they walk into somewhere, restaurant, bar, club, they're the most popular person there. Everyone's around them. Like they just have these lavish lives. I mean, besides James Harden, who still seems to be living that kind of <laughs> life. But everyone else, like imagine, you know, going from that to now just going to their. They have they're getting tested daily. Um, I think I read an article recently where it's like when they're on the road, you know, they get up every day, 6.30 to 7.30, they go get tested, they go to shoot around, and then after shoot around practice, they actually do a second test. I think the NBA, that's kind of their way of dealing with this. They're doing multiple tests daily. It's Their lives have completely changed. And on top of all that, they're expected to still go out there and perform, do their job how they were doing before, but under these new rules. And you know, it's like I said, first world problems, like the whole world is going through this pandemic. Everyone's lives have changed. Um, you know, they're so lucky enough to have their jobs and they still get paid like pretty well. Um, but, you know, I'm sure it's a change at the end of the day. And that's probably contributing to why they're going through the issues that they are, especially. And some people like Kyrie probably just started maybe dealing with it a little bit harder than other people. And that's completely reasonable. Um, but I think that was a great kind of uh, initial kind of take that you had on what we, we, you know, media, even us, like, yeah, blog boys or whatever, like how we look at these things. I think that's exactly right. And we're undermining um, how this, you know, our, our, us as fans, it's extremely, we're extremely lucky that we continue to have sports in our lives and they're trying to do it in a safe way. Um, I think spending a minute you know, we're not infectious disease doctors, but we are in healthcare and we are doctors. And so I think just spending a minute and talking a little bit about how you think the NBA is doing as compared to other major sports in handling this this COVID. I mean, I think we lived in this ideal world of, uh, of the bubble and it was such a fantastic way we can appreciate the sport. Um, I, obviously, we weren't in the bubble itself. We don't know the challenges those players had, but we can hear from them saying that they felt isolated. Their families weren't there. That's months away. And so they got rid of that. Now we're operating sort of these um, altered schedules where there's a lot more back-to-back with the same teams, more more sort of trips. But we're still seeing these positive tests, and you're seeing some teams being affected more than others. I'm not really sure why. I don't know that if that has to do with state regulations or if that has to do with players themselves or, or, or anything like that. But how do you think the NBA has been handling the COVID situation? Is there anything you would have done differently? I mean, I think very similar to the NFL and the MLB who went through their seasons without a bubble, um, especially the MLB. We saw how at the beginning of their season, there were so many games canceled, multiple teams had outbreaks. Um, they had games canceled and then they got through it. They completed their season. Every team got through their season. And we saw that with the NFL too. I mean, it was really bad. The, there was, I think, two major outbreaks. Like the Ravens had that outbreak. The Titans had their outbreak. But we saw games getting moved left and right. Um, I mean, there was the first time, like there's two, there's like two games on Monday night. Sometimes we had Tuesday night games. We had Wednesday night games. So games were getting moved left and right. Uh, but ultimately they got through their season. They kind of, did the, they did their testing and they got through it. Um, I think the NBA is in the same phase right now, like the early part of their season where they knew they were going to have positive tests. Um, I'm sure they came up with their health and safety protocols, but obviously as you're going through it, they realized they had to change protocols because of all the positive tests. 
But I think one encouraging thing was, I think today the report just came out, the latest round of testing, there were zero new players who tested positive, which is definitely great. And I think we saw that about like three, two, three weeks ago where they kind of made new rules, said definitely like they really enforced the mask wearing, um, especially for players on the sideline when they're not in the game. Uh, then they kind of are restricting their in each individual player's bubble even more in terms of who can visit them at their house, who and if they need to get tested. So they're really tightening down. And it's definitely worked. I think the fact that last week it said one additional player tested positive and this week was zero. It's looking, looking like I think the NBA hopefully is heading down the right path. Um, but, you know, it, it's, it's hard work. I think we just have to, the game's getting postponed. It's just a new normal. I think initially it was like a shock, but now it's just like, oh, like last night or a couple nights ago, it was like Detroit, Denver got canceled five minutes before tip off because there was an inconclusive test from a Detroit, not even player, like a staffer. And there's contact tracing and they have to postpone the game. I think that's just the new normal. What are your thoughts? You know, I think that in the beginning of the season, there were some growing pains and there were some inconsistencies. And we know teams like the Sixers and the Celtics kind of struggled with that because they had so many players out with the contact tracing. You know, when we look at the end of the season, there's a lot of delayed games. You know, uh, Washington went, I think, was it a week and a half without playing a game? Yeah. What happens? I know they've built in some flexibility in the second half of the season, but what happens, you know, when you find out at the end of the year that some teams have played. 10, 15 more games or 12, you know, 12 more games. And how do you, how do you mitigate something like that? One, you know, one thing I've heard is just going by percentage. And I think that's a reasonable option, but that negates the fact that there's teams that probably had back-to-backs or three games in four nights or three different cities in a week. And those teams that continue playing, you know, by the end of the year, they have more tired legs. Or are they losing games? And there's no perfect solution to it, but I wonder what your your take on that is. You know, should they push the playoffs until every team has played the same number of games? Do you think that the percentage system is a better system, or do you think there should be some hybrid that 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 the NBA needs to figure out? Yeah, I mean, hopefully it doesn't come to the point where there's disparity of the level of 10, 15 games um, between teams in terms of number of played. I think we saw with the bubble. You know, at the end of those seeding games, not every team had played the same number of games. I think some teams had played one or two games. Like, there was a difference of one or two, and then they went by percentage. I think that's something they may have to do here. Um, and hopefully it's like that difference is like around one or two games, not 10 to 15. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's definitely no perfect solution for, for this. Um, you're just going to have to hope that the second half of the season, they're able to kind of... I think that's why the NBA didn't release the second half of the schedule in the beginning because they knew this was going to be happening um, and they would have to make the schedule based on the number of games postponed. But I think, yeah, the only solution is to go by percentage if you can't fit all the games in. Uh, I mean, one thing that that didn't make sense to me actually was we saw how this week they reported that there's going to be an all-star game in March 5th to 10th, which I thought made no sense to me. Like they're going to have like that five days break, but they're actually going to have an all-star game on the 7th, I believe. Uh, March 7th and it made no sense to me because you're trying to socially distance teams and here you are bringing players from all pretty much like a majority of the teams into one spot and then you know if there's like a positive test from a player from that all-star weekend they basically were in contact with everyone else 
and then they each are going to go spread back to their original teams. And it just seems like a bad idea, and I feel like you could use that week to maybe play one or two makeup games, something like that, um, or just give players a rest rather than play this All-Star game. And I thought that was just a bad idea in general. Yeah, that was my exact point. You know, I think being in being in 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 a field where we see that you know it's very easy for outbreaks to happen, whether we saw it in the United States with protests or earlier in the year, or you know weddings or whatever have you. I think the All Star Games make make very little sense. I think one thing, one reason why they might want to keep the All Star Game is it's an accolade. It's another thing that they look at when a player retires. How many times do they make an All Star team? It's a way to it's a way to,、um, you know, to recognize players that have worked on their craft and are having a good season so far. I ultimately think what they should do is they should announce all stars at the same time of the year because I think it would be unfair for them to, you know, say let's move the all star game to at the end of the regular season or at the end of the playoffs and we will, you know, pick people at that time because I think that's unfair. I think that's. Historically, if you've done well for a quarter to a, half, a third of the season, then you're recognized as an all-star, and you sort of make the ballot and you make it to the game. And I think that same thing should be done、um, this year. But I think after they announce it, they, pro- they they should not have a game, and they should figure out some other creative format, and then maybe have a game at the end of the year or, or something where, when after which all the players can sort of go off into their own merry ways.、Um, the The precipice that a COVID breakout happens in this bubble, and every single of the top athletes from teams get sort of reserved, and that could affect one to two to three weeks of, you know, NBA basketball. That makes very little sense to me. And in a league where superstars are probably the most important impact on winning, it makes so little sense to try to gather all of these superstars. Granted, you know, they could be as careful as they want, but sometimes there's. Unexpected circumstances. You know, we're seeing it in the NFL right now. The Chiefs almost may have not been able to participate. Half their team may not have been able to participate in the Super Bowl. It was for something as simple as going to get a haircut. Right. And so, I think these things are very tentative. And if we want to preserve, you know, the season and finish it off in a way where it's f- as fair as possible, understanding that this year is never going to be like any other year, just like last year is never going to be like any other year,、uh, I think the NBA should reconsider the All Star Game. Moving off of the topic of COVID, because I think we spend a lot of time about that and a lot of time on mental health in, in, in athletes and people in general currently with the current climate that we have, let's talk a little bit about so far this season. What teams have excited us? What teams have surprised us? And what teams have disappointed us? Yeah, I mean, I think along the lines of、um, impress, you know. I would talk. I mean, I really wanted to talk about the Houston Rockets and what we're seeing there.、Uh, you know, it started off as a mess, and poor Stephen Silas, right? This guy gets his first opportunity to coach, and we're always talking about how we we got to give African American coaches an opportunity.、Uh, they don't get these head coaching opportunities, and he thought he was going to take a job with Harden and Russ, and was going to lead a team with superstars, and that turned out to not be the case. Obviously, Russ got out of there earlier, and Harden made a mess of it, and was really making his life miserable. But the coach's job miserable. But I think what he's done、uh, since the Harden trade has just been impressive. The Rockets are ten and nine, six game winning streak, and just you, you go down that team. You got John Wall coming off this Achilles injury, looking good. 
Oladipo, who for some reason, you know, I think the Pacers realized he would want a contract that they didn't want to pay, moved off of him. Uh, then we saw Christian Wood, who the, for some reason, I don't get why the Pistons didn't want to sign him. And they'd rather spend their money on like guys like Mason Palmley. Uh, I think the Jeremy Grant side signing turned out to be okay for the Pistons, but the Mason Plumlee signing did not make any sense. And they also signed Jaleel Okafor and they drafted Isaiah Stewart. It did not make any sense at all. But let's forget the Pistons. But basically, Christian Wood was shunned aside by the Pistons. And then, um, you know, uh, Boogie, same thing. Like, he wasn't... Uh, I mean, the Lakers, you know, last year released him. He was injured, but he's coming off an injury. I think we just have a bunch of reclamation projects on the Rockets. And they're... Defense has just been incredible since the Harden trade. I think I was seeing or hearing somewhere that they're the number one defense. Um, they came out the other night and was just blowing the doors off. And they just look impressive. It's, I mean, Christian Wood looks like all-star, all-star level. Um, just impressed by how these guys, since the Harden trade, it's almost like they're on admission. Because <laughs> Harden basically, when he was leaving Houston, he basically said this team can't cut it. And was basically just taking a dump on his teammates saying that they're not cut out to be winners. Uh, or like to, that he can compete with them. And they're just showing you otherwise right now. I totally agree. I think they're fun to watch. I think that it's it's very interesting when you t- take a whole team with a chip on their shoulder and put them together in a, in a situation the one good thing I think that's been there for Houston this year is there's such, for the first time in probably like five or six years, there's such little pressure on that team. And you can see that with some of the role players playing with a lot more joy. Like they don't have this constant pressure of like, if we don't make the NBA finals, what's going to happen? Or if James Harden doesn't get his points, what's going to happen? And it's really nice to see, you know, I think Eric Gordon had a pretty poor start to the season, but it's sort of coming around. P.J. Tucker is sort of coming around. And I think it's just nice to see this team working together. I honestly did not see it coming. I thought they were going to be trash this year. <laughs> and I'm happy for, for guys like Boogie and Wall, who are friends that are finally getting to play together. You know, we always talk about the Nets and those friends that are playing together. But there's another group of friends that are, like, you know, playing together. And, and I'm very happy for them. The team that I, I think I'm supremely disappointed in and I don't think we talk about this team enough because we've just accepted that they kind of suck, is the Timberwolves. Yeah. You know, they have a lot of talent. You know, you look at that roster, and there's absolutely no reason why that roster should be worse than Chicago or should be worse than the Knicks or should be worse than Cleveland. And I know that, you know, Carl Anthony Towns had had immense tragedies in his life in the last year. And, you know, with him testing positive for COVID, and I think there's been challenges to Minnesota. I'm not saying that there isn't. But for them to be as bad as they are getting beaten easily and playing absolutely no defense, it doesn't make sense. You know, Carl Anthony Towns, borderline all-star player year to year, if not bona fide all-star player year to year. D'Angelo Russell should be a, you know, borderline all-star player, at least from what we saw with him in the Nets. They had the number one draft pick in Anthony Edwards. They had um, was it Culver is still is still there. Yep. And so they have some young talent, and it just it doesn't I don't it doesn't make sense to me how why they are as bad as they are. And usually you think about teams that are being that are this bad as teams that you know have cheaper contracts or have bad contracts. I don't really look at their team and, you know, see, I mean, maybe D'Angelo is getting paid a little bit more than he should, but 
I don't see like horrible contracts. And the saddest thing is, if this is their team now, I don't see how the team can change unless it's trading one of those two big pillars of their team for them to get better. I mean, they're young. Like, this this team should be what I would consider a gelling team, kind of, you know, what we're seeing in like with Charlotte or with Atlanta. Like, this team should be gelling enough that they can rattle off some wins just from their youth. And they can't even do that. They can't even take teams by surprise if they're tired. And that's really disappointing for Carl Anthony Towns, who just, I don't know, three, four years ago was being, uh, was, was being anointed, you know, the next Anthony Davis or the best center in the league or one of the best or centers the, in the league. The number one player you want to build around or, the or start one. a franchise. Yeah, exactly. And so, I don't know, uh, what do you think is wrong with them? Yeah, I think, you know, you're wondering why it's so bad. I think they have the wrong coach <laughs> to start off with. Um, I think Ryan Saunders got that job largely because of his father's flips influence on that franchise and what he meant to that franchise. And I think that's why Ryan Saunders got that job. And because the players liked him, he's a player's coach. They like him. He's a young guy. He's like very probably relatable to the players, but in probably terms of X's and O's, he's probably not bringing much. I think he's there because Cat probably likes him and wants him there. And then on top of that, I, like you said, I think they might have hitched their wagon to the wrong complimentary star to Cat and D'Lo. Cat um, and D'Lo are great friends. Once again, I think that's why they acquired D'Lo. But he's not a max. He's on a max contract. But like you said, he's not a max level player. He's that contract is not was just given to him because of like the pro, perfect circumstances where he was part of a sign and trade, and he needed to get the. The Warriors needed to give him the max to kind of make the money work and make that sign and trade work so that they could um, get him. But the Warriors got him instead of losing KD for nothing. But, you know, Minnesota is in a tough spot. I mean, it's scary for them. They don't have, I mean, if that pick's not top three this year, they're going to lose it. And say they keep it this year, they're, it's unprotected in 2022. So they're going to, they're down a first round pick. And then in terms of player contracts, they, Cat and D'Lo are on max contracts. Malik Beasley's not cheap. He's getting paid like $15 million a year. Um, and then you have other players that you have uh, in terms of Hernan Gomez. Um, and who knows what Edwards and Culver are going to be. Culver looks disappointing. Edwards, we don't know. I mean, he's only 20 games in. But it, it just looks bleak in Minnesota. I think they have to change the coach. Um, they're just going to take a bird's eye view and realize the coach is not cutting it. And I think that's where they could start someone who's going to come in there and just change the culture, make the players play harder. Um, but yeah, I was just thinking about this too, actually. Props to Kenny Atkinson, the only coach who somehow made D'Lo into a winning player. Um, that His all-star season with him and Spencer Dinwiddie in that backcourt. And basically, he that was the first time when he was in, with the Lakers, D'Lo was not a winning player. With the Nets was the only time he was putting up numbers, and he was a uh, he was teammate in the playoffs. We didn't see that with the Warriors, so we're not seeing that with the Wolves. Um, but yeah, Timberwolves just immensely disappointing. Um, but the other team, you know, I wanted to kind of bring up as well um, that we're we're starting to see in terms of what they what they could or could not be is the Pelicans, and I think they're getting a lot of attention for negative reasons right now, but. One, Stan Van Gundy was, you know, I thought he was, he'd was he be a good hire because we saw back in the day how he coached that young Magic team to the finals. 
and kind of develop Dwight Howard into a defensive player of the year and a finals, a team that you could build a finals team around. But it just seems like his methods are running like they're, they're old school methods. And it seems like the players aren't responding. And on top of that, like, I just don't understand. I think we talked about it before this season too. We were questioning that Steven Adams extension. It just didn't make sense with the fit with Zion. And then they have, they basically have Zion and then they have Adams, who's not a shooter, Lonzo and Bledsoe, who aren't shooters. And then on top of that, they, I mean, Ingram, same thing. Like you put Ingram and Zion are your building blocks and you're putting non-shooters around them. It just doesn't make sense. JJ Reddick's not playing. Um, Zion was benched in the fourth quarter, the end of a fourth quarter the other night against the Kings. So it's, it's looking kind of you know, it just seems like they're not trying. Oh, and Jackson Hayes is just horrible, too. Zion and Jackson Hayes, horrible combo. I'm very, very interested um, because I think they put a lot of eggs in the Zion basket, and I'm he's a tremendously, you know, nice person from what I can tell online. Obviously, I don't know him personally, but he seems like an immensely nice and friendly person. But he's... He's a bigger guy and he's taken a pounding on his legs and his health is always going to be a thing of question. Should they have been building around Zion? I don't I don't really know. I think the Pelicans it's 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 interesting because Stan Van Gundy is an old school coach. Old school coach usually doesn't like to play their young players, likes to play veterans. And it's kind of, I feel like once he tried that for the first, I don't know, 10 games and it wasn't working, then he like did a 180 and now he's like playing all these young guys. They're like not cohesive. They don't really have an offensive or a defensive identity. And um, you got guys, you know, that are good that are sitting on the bench. I mean, I, I think JJ Redick, you know, defensively may not be where he was a few years ago when he was a little bit younger, but I can't imagine offensively he's fallen off so badly that he can't even get any minutes. He's like getting DNPCs, like what is happening? <laughs> yeah. And um, let alone being out of the starting lineup. And I really wonder if like Stan's already in the hot seat from, from just 10, 15 games. Um, I'm worried about the Pelicans. The Pelicans and, you know, the Pelicans and Minnesota, similar both. They have these young guys that should be extremely talented, but it's not converting to winning basketball. And I don't know what changed besides the coach so much from last year because they seemed like a joy to play around each other last year. Like they were having fun on the court and it just doesn't seem that way anymore. Like I thought the big question was going to be, oh, like how are they going to split the ball between Zion and Ingram? Like I thought that was going to be the bigger question. Like who's going to end up becoming the bigger star? And I'm kind of worried that neither of them are becoming stars. Like both of them are kind of regressing from where they were last year. And it doesn't really make sense to me from a basketball perspective why that might be happening. Like obviously there's a lot of other external factors that could be contributing to that, but it doesn't seem like from a basketball perspective why that could be happening besides some questionable off-season signings of players that are non-shooters. Um, a team that I'm pretty excited about um, and I'm actually surprised at how well they're doing and I think that they're sort of heading in the right direction is the Cavs. I think they got a lot of press a couple weeks ago when they beat the Nets back to back. But, you know, take those wins aside. I think that I was really worried about this really small backcourt of Sexton and Garland. You know, Sexland. Sexland for, <laughs> for, for, for colloquially known. And I'm really, uh, 
I'm really impressed, especially by Sexton. I'm really impressed as, as to, you know, what he's become in these last few years. I really thought that their ceiling was going to be at the very best, some, some small version of like Portland, you know, like Dame and CJ. Those guys are obviously different players, but I thought, you know, Dame and CJ, when it comes to the playoffs, they're always going to have problems because they're going to be exploited on the defensive end. And I don't think that Sexton and Garland could ever be offensive players like like Dame and CJ, but I think defensively they can hold their own. They can guard guys that are a little bit bigger than them, which makes me question, like, if they continue to have good growth, could you have a team that's sort of built around these two guys? Not to, not to leave out that I think in that, in that Nets trade to get James Harden, I think they got another cornerstone piece in Jared oh, yeah. Allen. And I think between the three of those guys, they could have a defensive stalwart team for many years to come. They might struggle a little bit offensively, but if, if Sexton keeps progressing his offensive game like the way he is right now, I mean, that's a... This is the first time in the post-LeBron era, even when, when it was Kyrie and when LeBron was gone for that short time in the middle, where like they have an identity, a defensive identity, and all the guys seem bought in. Yeah, I mean, I thought they stole Jared Allen in that trade. Um, they didn't even give up their own first-round pick. They had a Bucks first-round pick in 2022 that they gave up. And, you know, now that Giannis is there, that Bucks pick isn't going to be a great pick. Um, and they got Jared Allen out of it, like a, a franchise center who, with Drummond on an expiring contract this year, they could just let Drummond go. And they have, like, Allen, like, ready. He's just going to be, going to step into that role. Um, he's at it, unlike Drummond, he's at the age where he can develop along with Sexton and Garland. So Sexton's in his third year. Garland in his second, Allen in his fourth. So they're all around like the same age. I think that was, they basically have three potential cornerstone pieces. And then, you know, Okoro's looking good. Like he may not be a great offensive player, but he can be a defensive complement to Sexton and Garland. Um, and JB Bickerstaff's just doing a great job. I think he's always been the guy who comes in as an interim coach. But I think for the first time, they like kind of said, you're our coach. And looks like he's really owning that team and doing well with it. Um, really impressed by the, the, what the Cavs are building over there. And then I guess, you know, one other team kind of that I wanted to met, talk about um, is the Miami Heat. So they're kind of the, they haven't, they're not off to a great start. They're like, you know, have the third or fourth worst record in the East. And I'm, the reason I'm like, so really surprised, not even disappointed, is because if you look at their, their team, it's pretty much the same. I mean, they have Drogic, Robinson, Hero, Butler, Bam as their main players. Then they have, like, they still have Myers Leonard. Um, the only big change was that Jay Crowder was basically let go. Um, and I think the reason they did that is because they didn't want to give him a three-year contract like Phoenix did because they want to preserve cap space for Giannis, which ultimately backfired. And they said, we'll bring in Mo Harkless instead, who hasn't been that great at all. Um, they drafted Precious Achua, who looked like he could be a contributor. Like, he'd always find these guys. But, I mean, they're just off to a bad start. Like, the loss to the Hornets the other night, that was a bad loss. They were up by 8 with, like, 8 or 10 with 2 minutes to go, and they just lost that lead. I mean, Malik Monk made, like, when I got hot and made, like, a nice 3. It might have just been a heat check game for Malik Monk, but still, that was a bad loss. And I'm just wondering, we heard a lot of chatter about people who said that the Heat were only good because it was in the bubble. And that if it was a normal season, there's no way they would have made the finals. And I'm not sure if it's because they, along with they along with the Lakers, had the shortest offseason. And they're still kind of playing their way into this season. 
But you look at the Lakers, I mean, they seem to have not really, you know, lost any any touch and they're like coming out firing. Is it that or it, or were people right? Because if you look at the Heat last season, prior to the bubble, they were a fifth seed. They were not they were not a great team. They were hovering around five or six all year. And it's just, just who the Heat are and was that finals run just because of the bubble? Well, I think the bubble magnified, you know, hashtag heat culture, right? <laughs> yeah. Like you got a bunch of guys in in a small space in a team that's so micromanaged let's say you know and 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 they love that they love that jimmy fits perfectly in that i think part of the reason why they have been off to a fast start is first off you know just miami and miami in general has been like a hot spot for covid and i think that their players have been in and out of the lineup i I, is is, when was the last time jimmy butler played did he has he played recently i think he came back against the hornets okay so the first time but he'd he'd been out for a while before that exactly and so obviously they're missing jimmy who's kind of the the heart and soul of the team um but i agree with you i think i i don't i don't think that the heat were that good last year even in the bubble I just think that they matched up really, really, really well against their opponents in the playoffs. And we kind of saw that because when it came to the finals, like, do I think the Heat were the Eastern Conference team that had the best chance of beating the Lakers last year? I don't think so. I don't think so. It kind of reminded me a little bit about, you know, the early the early 2000s Nets. You know, they, they make the finals, but you kind of knew the smacking was coming from the Western <laughs> Conference. Yeah. And it's kind of it was kind of the same thing. Like, you, the Heat made it there. They're feisty. Everyone loved watching them. I think the bubble sort of gave them a, a, a you know, a, a one-up or a handicap or whatever you want to call it for them to do a little bit better. And then the matchups worked out perfectly for them. And they're a really well-coached team, which in a bubble can and in a playoff setting can be really good. I do expect, because their team is the same, they can't be this bad. Like, this just not possible. I expect them to make a late season run. Some of it might be that they're in cruise control right now, you know, um, especially with some of the young guys. You never want to get too good too quickly. I think that happened with the LeBron Cavs. It probably happened with the Giannis Bucks. They got too good too quickly and uh, either it went to their head or they weren't able to put together other complementary pieces. It'll be interesting to see if they try to make a change in their roster ahead of ahead of the uh, the trade deadline, especially because now that Giannis is not going to be available, they are one of the teams with young talent that's, you know, there's young talent that's so good that they're probably not going to move. You know, guys like, uh, well, the guys have re-signed this offseason. Guys like, you know, Bam is not going to move. You know, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, not going to really move. Fox, probably unlikely to move. Donovan Mitchell, unlikely to move. And then there's those guys who are like good, but they're movable people. You know, Tyler Hero, excellent. I think he's a wonderful basketball player. But I think his uh, he could get a lot of attention from other teams. And, you know, could he be that good on another team? I don't really know. And so that's a great contract. Duncan Robinson, I think, would, get, would be a hot commodity. Even Precious what Achua, whatever. How <laughs> Precious Achua would be, a, you know, would be a player that in early season was showing some spark and teams might be interested in acquiring him. And do they somehow package that for, I don't know if it's enough, but do they package that for a Bradley Beal or do they package that and get somebody else, some different identity in the team? I don't know if I was, if I was Washington, would that be enough? Like three young guys and then maybe some slew of draft picks. That might be, that might be compelling. Um, But I I think even if they do nothing, I think at the end of the season, they are going to make a push. 
And I would expect them, if not to have a playoff spot, at least be in the conversation, the, the playing tournament. Yeah, I think you ideally wouldn't want to be in the playing tournament. Uh, just, but yeah, it, it's if they, we already have a shortened season. You never know when players are going to be out, and if you build, get yourself in too much of a hole, that that's what's going to happen. Um, it's just hard to make up ground like like normal seasons. Um, but you know, I think there was. Before we sign off, you know, is there any other teams that you wanted to talk about? I think just going on that same train of like teams that you expected to be much better than they are. I think Dallas, they've gotten a lot of talk recently by a lot of the, so we, we you know, we're going to be echoing a lot of what other major sports media analysts have been talking about. But um, I'm, I, I did not expect the regression that we've gotten from Dallas and is it personnel based? Is it again they got too good too quickly? I'm kind of worried it's the latter. Like who knew Seth Curry was this important? <laughs> well, yeah, I, Seth. Yeah, who knew? And who knew? You know, Richardson was this bad of a this shooter. Trash. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but do you think that they got too good too quickly? This is the the bane of the existence of young teams. You know, we had the season coming in with I think Vegas had didn't didn't Vegas uh, Vegas essentially have. Uh, um, Luca as the four forerunner for the MVP. He or was the favorite like for MVP, and I think Dallas was probably third in terms of like odds to win this uh, conference after the Lakers and Clippers. So they everyone is very high on them coming into the season. And I wonder if part of that is like they did so well in the bubble, they had such good chemistry and a great playoff run, and maybe they just weren't as good as we, we thought and. You know, you can chalk that up to injuries, or they also had some outbreaks of COVID on their team. But I'm I'm kind of kind of concerned about where they are. I mean, obviously, as a Knicks fan, I really hope that they do trash <laughs> this year because we're gonna have their draft pick, yeah. and it would be great to have two lottery picks in this. Because I don't think the Knicks are gonna make the playoffs. Let's be honest. But having two lottery picks in this draft could be a gold mine, or even if it's as a, as a trading chip, which I hope the Knicks don't do. I hope they draft because um, it seems like they did a great job drafting this last season, and so. Um, I hope that that's what they do, but I don't know. I don't know if it's – do Do you think that they're going to get it together and start making a run? There is one thing to be said that their strength of schedule has been pretty hard so far this year um, compared to other teams, and they maybe are are suffering from that, and, and it will be one of those like regressions to the mean where they might not be a top three seed, but maybe like once you have them playing you know, the not great teams – on in either conference, you're going to just see them so slowly reeling together wins instead of being in this like six game losing streak or whatever they were in recently. Yeah, I mean they they're another team that was hit hard by COVID, um, and KP was out for the first nine games after another knee injury. So you know they they've definitely been affected. But even after they're coming after they got all their players back, KP was back. Um, you know they still lost his games and example like they just lost two straight to phoenix at home um which is not never a good sign you know when you're losing to that same team twice in a row at home you usually hope the second game you come out and make adjustments like a playoff series um but yeah i think what we're seeing is that maybe last season where they were they had this historic offense that was number one um wasn't it the best offense of ever yeah in terms of until offense. the nets this year <laughs> yeah in terms of offensive efficiency where, you know, they just had these guys. They had a perfect team with Luka. KP was healthy during the regular season. And they had shooters with Seth, um, Finney Smith, Smith uh, Kleba, 
like there's three shoot like four shooters around K, uh, Luca and KP, and they just had this perfect team and the guys were making the threes and I think this year they're not and they lost one shooter for a defensive player in Richardson. Um, you know, ultimately, I think when you have a guy like Luca, you will figure it out. And he himself came into the season out of shape. But I think they're not going to meet those expectations that people have for them, where they could be the third best team in the West. I don't think it's going to be that kind of season. And they're another team that kind of planned their cap sheet around the fact that Giannis is going to be a f- potential free agent in 2021. And that's not the case now. And so, you know, they're, they're not them and Miami, right? Miami is also like plan their cap sheet around that. And so that's, that's the tricky part now, but I, I, I can see Dallas figuring this out, but I think they will ultimately end up where they were last year, which is around a seven seed. Yeah. I'm kind of worried. Cause I think the Western conference in general has gotten better and they're not too far behind right now. I think they're like three games out of the playoffs. Yeah. But I, you know, if you had to look at the Heat, if you consider them sort of equivalent great teams last year, struggling so far this year, hit hard with COVID or injuries. And I think that the, the, the track record for the Heat to sh- shoot up the Eastern Conference is going to be much easier than for Dallas to try to get, to, you know, string together the wins to try to compete with the, you know, because the bottom of the Western Conference is still, you know, talented teams. You got Portland down there and, you got, you know, maybe some of those teams that are up there right now, you know, like the Kings will trail off a little bit. But I don't know. I, I feel like if they put themselves, if they continue this losing streak or put themselves in a couple more games of a hole, like that could be a challenging thing. Of course, if they get into the playing tournament, they're, you know, as good as any team and could probably make it in. But that's kind of concerning to me that they're in this hole already and maybe they'll get better as the season goes on. But it's not going to be as easy, I don't think, for them as it, it will be for the Heat if they if, if it finally does click. Yeah, and like we said, especially as you're trying to catch up, if you have a player get COVID, they're out again, an injury, and I think this season is going to be harder than others to make up ground just because of those other external factors. But yeah, I think you know we're a quarter way through the season. Um, it's good to like talk about some of these teams, and we'll definitely. I'm excited for the next quarter of the season that's coming up. And hopefully, you know, before that end of or before the finish of the next quarter, we'll try to do another pod. And just want to put it out here, you know, for anyone who's doing NBA voting, Julius Randle should be Eastern (laughs) Conference, Eastern Conference All-Star. So please put a vote for him for me. (laughs) Build a team around Julius Randle. But yeah. All right, guys. Signing off. See you next time.